Remember those state quarters? Did you ever see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. What happened to those? State my dad collected they all came those. Out. Huh? We did them. We did them all. My dad collected them. Yeah. He has them in what, well, that cardboard thing. Yeah, yeah. But in. there was there was another quarter afterward, right? For something else. Uh, like it wasn't state quarters. It was not. Anyway, what were you saying? It was the dollar. I was coin. just talking about state quarters. Shit. What was the other? What did we do we after do state quarters? We should do more often. If we're gonna let's fuck with coins. I agree. I agree. Let's do weird shit on coins. Let's get weird with money. Let's yeah. get nuts. Let's get Apparently that in 2009, after they did the 50 state quarters program, they did the D.C. and U.S. territories, which feels like the begrudging, like, fine, you fucking babies. Right. You'll get your own quarters, too. The, Are you happy? The, it's like the states that we kind of treat like states, but not in a way where they have power. Only right. They have power. D.C., well, yeah. Puerto Rico, Guam, it's American it's Samoa. That the, those, oh, like, it's, it's not just that we that have them. Other countries have them, too. Yeah. It's like those kind of places still exist. That are right. Just like, and it's got to suck to live there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sort of the, they don't get votes. They don't have representation in Congress. They still have to pay us taxes. Right. Like taxes it's really representation. It's, it's stunning the thing that we notoriously love. Yeah, but yeah. we did let them compete in the American Song Contest. Yeah, thank God. Right. Thank God. The most sacrosanct of the, our tradition. The one season. Yeah. Probably canceled show. Oh, okay, so there was America the Beautiful Quarters, which was fifty-six quarters depicting national parks and other national sites. Oh, okay. I like so that. maybe that's what I was thinking. What year of. was that happening? In? That was twenty ten to when did this end? Uh, twenty twenty one. Oh, so going so on for a bit. Yeah. American women quarters. Boo. Where are my men? My hot take is more men. <laughs> yes, more men. American hugs quarters <laughs> like a bunch of muscle oh, yeah. studs what was it's it just, this one but like you couldn't you obviously couldn't do political figures because they're not buffs so no I think, just, I think like, every, every state has to submit their own candidate for hug <laughs> and that's what we put on the back of the it's board this one. episode of Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends sit down, watch a troubled movie, have a nice little drink, talk about what was good, what was bad, and how we could do it so much better than they did. <laughs> I am your host for this week, Lee Stained Glass Night Deliante. I'm Chris, Freaky Quail Puppet Ravel. And I am Brendan Uncas Drischler. <laughs> and if you could not tell... Uncas! Uncas! Uh, those nicknames, we have just finished watching 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes. He was the youngest... Youngest of the youngest of Holmes, but not the youngest, not the youngest brother. No, um, no, different, different yes. one. Directed by Barry Levinson. Screenplay by Chris Columbus. Remember Chris Columbus Produced starring by... a bunch of boys that I've never yeah, heard so of. Yeah, so many boys: Nicholas Rowe, Alan Cox, Anthony Higgins, Sophie Ward. A bunch of poor people. You've probably seen them in British stuff. Right. Like, a lot of these people are, like, you know, British character actor yeah, types. Amanda Bynes. Yeah, Amanda Bynes is Watson. Amanda <laughs> Bynes is playing, is, yeah, in cross Yes, as, as, as her twin brother, as Watson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> produced by Steven Spielberg and Friends. Which, yeah. this feels very much like a Spielberg 80s type movie. Adventure. In that in respect. The ilk of Young Blank, let's have, yeah. Right. Childhood adventures, doing treasure hunting, solving crimes. Which... 
which as you describe it, I think will also become clear to our listeners that that's really more young Indiana Jones than perhaps young, right. young Sherlock. Yeah, yeah, there are definite Indiana Jones vibes to this. Yes. But anyway, we'll get into that yes. briefly. Uh, obviously, we did need something to get us to this movie. Yes. Uh, what did we drink today? The drink that we made was called A Good Show, and it was two <laughs> ounces of gin. What kind of gin was it specifically, Lee? Do you remember? Uh, it's just my tea, tea smith. That's okay. my regular That's right. Gin. That's your, yeah, yeah, your go-to. Uh, two ounces by. of black tea. It was like a lemon black tea, I believe, or something yeah. like lemon that. Lemon orange right? black lemon tea. Lemon orange black yeah. tea. Uh, one ounce of honey sage simple syrup and half an ounce of lemon juice. Honey sage simple syrup, obviously that's very simple. You just take equal parts. Honey and water, let it come to a boil, throw in the sage leaves and let it simmer briefly, then let it cool down and, you know, refrigerate it. Um, this drink was very simple to make. You pretty much just throw everything together in a glass and then just mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I thought it was really delicious. Yeah. It yeah. was herbal and tea heavy, which felt fitting for this sort of movie. I'm still pretty buzzed yeah. from it, to be honest It was you. a nice summery sort of drink. As I want to say, if you were to order this in a bar, mm. you would uh, you would feel like your $12 are well spent. Yeah. You with this also, t- this I feel like would also be very popular in a brunch menu because it yeah. does yeah. taste a bit like... Well, a boo- it's like a right. boozy orange juice, yeah, really, and it looks like orange juice when it's in the glass. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I think, tea forward, too. So if yes. you're looking for something that feels kind of tea... Mm-hmm. Here you go. Yeah, that was a, that was one of our winners so yeah. far. Yeah, that worked uh, really well. I was really pleased because when I was making the syrup, it smelled very sagey, and I was kind of worried this would just taste like plants. It didn't. It was yeah. such a nice, it was like, like subtle a, base note. Yeah, the the aroma from the kitchen was quite potent, but it doesn't taste as strong. No, yeah, the, yeah. I think be, you know, tea being sort of like yeah, watered yeah. down helps some, it. There are some things that I think are more aromatic. For sure, yeah. Then maybe like sage is quite more more so than they have a flavor. Like right, you know how like sometimes in cooking or in baking they'll talk about something being like orange scented. That means it's not really going to taste like orange, but because they use like orange blossom, right, water, you'll get the whiff of it. Right, when you smell and it, it, yeah. it kind of influences the flavor because your nose and your mouth are right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, it was universally <laughs> an acclaimed drink. Um, yeah, we loved it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we hop into this movie, we are going to have to figure out. What the fuck happens? Yeah, history? what the fuck happened what to young Sherlock Holmes? What's going on what with young Sherlock Holmes? What made young Sherlock Holmes middle-aged and because, Sherlock Holmes? Because this was like an 80s PG, you get one fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but this is also Victorian England, so you did get you, no fucks. Right, did you recite the recipe for the drink? Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah, I did. Did I fucking micro-sleep? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, hit, you, well. I hit you with a thorn, okay. as I was saying, yeah, and you I just drifted away. Without <laughs> being attacked by gin, bottles of gin. Being attacked by, yeah, my bottles of gin came to life. Started pouring themselves down your throat. You're like, oh no! Suddenly, the the dice lights just started like, struggling <laughs> yeah. from behind. Yeah, there's a lot of like um, Japanese word for like rope bondage. A lot of- <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I don't know what it is, but I know exactly. A what lot of there's- a lot of getting tied up. Yeah, I was say- getting like caught by like like metal poles. Yeah, ensnared. Like, if you yeah. have a vague bondage kink, perhaps you'll find this movie very interesting. What if this like really activated someone's kink? You know what I mean? <laughs> just like they had like I mean, an awakening as. I almost said it out loud, but in the first scene where the guy gets like pulled against the wall with like the fucking iron rod, like, like gaslight, I was like, "This is pretty. This is pretty. This sexy. is awakening something in a child <laughs> yeah, this somewhere. Is like an awakening fetish right here." I love that. Anyway, let's Anyways. read about what this movie is. About. <laughs> a young Sherlock Holmes. It's about fetishes. It's about, okay. Yeah, it's the uh, the author's thinly veiled fetish. A young John Watson transfers from his school in the country to Lumpton's Brompton Academy, where Sherlock Holmes befriends him immediately. Holmes' mentors there include Rupert Waxflatter, an eccentric <laughs> retired professor to whom the school has given a large attic space for his inventions, which include a flying machine. Waxflatter's niece Elizabeth and Holmes are in love. 
Elsewhere in the city, a hooded figure with a blowgun shoots two men with, with thorns that induce nightmarish hallucinations, causing their apparent suicides. Holmes brings his suspicions of foul play to Scotland Yard Detective Lestrade, who rebuffs him. After a school rival frames him for misconduct, Holmes is expelled. He has one last duel with Professor Rath, the fencing instructor. While Holmes says goodbye to Watson, Waxflatter is shot with a thorn and stabs himself. Dying, he whispers the word Etar to Holmes. Holmes, Watson, and Elizabeth secretly investigate the murders, uncovering the existence of Ramatep, an ancient Egyptian cult of Osiris worshippers. The trio track the cult to a London paraffin warehouse and a secret underground wooden pyramid where they interrupt the sacrifice of a young girl. The Ramatep wound them with thorns and they escape to a cemetery to endure the hallucinations. Back in Waxflatter's loft, Holmes and Watson find a drawing of six men, including the three victims and a fourth man, Chester Cragwich, who is still alive. That night, Holmes and Watson go to see Cragwich, who explains that in his youth, he and the other five men were in Egypt, where they looted an underground pyramid containing the tombs of five Egyptian princesses. The resulting protest was violently put down by the British army. A local boy named Etar and his sister vowed to seek revenge and replace the bodies of the five princesses. As they return to the school, a chance remark by Watson causes Holmes to realize that Etar is none other than Professor Wraith. It's spelled backwards. Wraith and his sister, Mrs. Dribb, abduct Elizabeth, planning to use her as the final sacrifice. Using Waxflatter's flying machine, Holmes and Watson reach the warehouse just in time to rescue Elizabeth and destroy the temple. When Wrath tries to shoot Holmes, Elizabeth shields Holmes with her body and is mortally wounded. Wraith falls into the frozen River Thames. Holmes transfers to an another school, and Watson gives him an antique pipe that he bought during the investigations as a Christmas farewell present. An ending credits scene reveals that Wraith escaped. Checking into a hotel in Switzerland, he signs in as Tim. As Moriarty. <laughs> as Moriarty. It was Moriarty all the if time. If you said Jim, it would still be. That's why they that call is, him yeah. in Sherlock, because <laughs> it's so edgy. Right. Oh my god, Jim. His name is Jim Moriarty. What? Always he's looking into the camera. He's played by Andrew Scott. Wait, I hear he's gay in real life. He's so yeah. hot, though. Anyway, he is really hot. He is hot. He's that's unquestioned. That's a fact. That bit yeah. is not. Uh, I don't mean to be <laughs> sarcastic argue. about that particular yeah. bit. Andrew Scott is a great actor. But... It's canon. He's hot and he's a good he's actor. Canon. Anyway, so that's young Sherlock Holmes. That was a quick summary. That was a quick, a blessedly quick summary. The only thing that I feel like that summary could have gone to a little more detail because it matters a little bit in the context of the movie is the hallucinations that they yeah. sort of go under. You get to see two hallucinations. Well, you get to see multiple hallucinations. See a few. But yeah. Yeah, so like in the beginning, the first one you see is a guy goes into a restaurant, orders the quail. Pheasant. Yeah, or pheasant, sorry, Whatever pheasant. Whatever it is. Some bird. And he envisions the bird like kind of coming back to life while still and being like plucked. Him. And attacking him, he goes back to his quarters and he has a vision of like his uh, wrought iron coat rack or whatever it is, it's or hat a coat rack. rack and, but also I believe the, the like, oh, wall scones Right, there are candles to attached to it, right. And they're almost, like, slithering, like, snakes. Right, and they, like, kind of, like, wrap themselves around him as the room is catching on fire. It wisely doesn't show you kind of what's really happening. It, right. it, it lets you just kind of live in the weird fantastical Right, moment. although the first time whenever the guy is getting attacked by the pheasant or whatever it is, you do see, like, the pheasant is still on the table. They show shots from the perspective of other people in the restaurant and they're staring at him while he's just like holding his hands up for his face going oh no no well, there's a pheasant on the table so, right and there's later there's a reverend who's in a church and he imagines that a stained glass portrait has sprung out of the window and is advancing on him with a sword uh, you know apparently a watershed moment in a watershed effects. moment in visual effects indeed and I guess we'll get into it more but I actually thought it held up pretty well yeah and you know little things with like there are tiny stop motion gargoyles attacking a guy mm -hmm. and Holmes has a vision of his parents and his dad's yelling at him Watson has 
has a vision of, of there's being a forced to eat California raisins. <laughs> can I just say before we get into anything else, we will get yeah. into this with the Sherlock Holmes topic, but there seems to be some sort of like universal, like silent consensus that like Sherlock Holmes did not have a healthy childhood. Right. I mean, oh yeah, that tracks. <laughs> Certainly tracks. I feel like there is this sort of like I I I think that he is such a good detective, and he is like almost savant level like good at something, but also very fixed and focused on only that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it suggests to people, like, some kind of maladaption, some kind of yeah. damage in the past, you know, because, like, people don't typically turn out that way. So pe- yeah, yeah. I think a very natural question is why? Right. Well, to sort of go into that, I guess, Lee, because you've read more Sherlock Holmes stuff than any of us have. Yeah. Is there some sort of, shall we say, canonical story of... Sherlock's youth at all? Yeah, really almost not. There's like, it depends on like, to the time period of like the fandom, I think, of like Mm -hmm. what, because I remember when I was first getting into Sherlock Holmes as a kid, there was the general assumption that, um, because Sherlock Holmes has an older brother, Mycroft, who is like Sherlock version (laughs) 1.0, where he's like, he's smarter, but he's like even less of a life than Sherlock. Yeah. Like, is like, I just, I am basically like a memory card for the British government. <laughs> and my job is to like, he's know like a joyless everything. agent, yeah. right? And like, weirdly, he didn't kind of start off that way. Like, he kind of was just, it was like, oh, well, like, he, I don't know, he just works for the government. And you're just like meant to be like, oh, he's just like a, a clerk. Yeah. And then I think Conan Doyle like hinted later on that it's like, no, 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 this guy's like huge. Like, huge. He, like, he actually is, is super. Like, he kind of beefed up importance canonically. So, uh-huh. I think canonically, he kind of is implied to be like incredible. Like, if he's gone, the government doesn't function. <laughs> like, he just is the person that, like, knows everything. Like, he's like the like some sort of crazy quarter level, quartermaster type person. Uh-huh. That, like, whoever needs to coordinate with someone else, like, it has to go through Mycroft because he's the only person that knows who is responsible for everything else. He's in charge of the precogs who are predicting. Yeah, but it does, seem, it does feel like Mycroft could be replaced with, like, a computer program at yeah, some yeah. point in the future called M-KRFT like, or something. As a result of that, Mycroft has, like, literally three places that he exists. He's, like, he's either in his club, in his office, or, like, in his home, and that's it. He, <laughs> he can't go anywhere else. else in London. Um, and so because of that... People assume that Sherlock Holmes would, or the Holmes family would have had, like, an older sibling, probably Uh had to have been a brother, that would have had to have, like, taken over the family estate, because otherwise, like, they would have, I don't know what would happen. What's the deal with his parents? Do we know, like, what the deal is with his parents? No, they never say what the deal with his parents. Okay, because in this movie also, there is Sherlock Holmes' hallucination when he gets hit by the thorn, is that he sees his mother crying in a chair, and his dad's, like, sulking by the fireplace, and Mm -hmm. he's like, hey, mom, stop crying. His dad's like, you meddled in my affair, son. Like, you shouldn't have told your mother about the shit I did. That's none of your business. Like, you've ruined our family. Is the implication that the dad was cheating? That's what I thought, but the movie... To my knowledge, unless again, unless I miss something, the movie never addresses what it is that exactly no. happened. I guess the other possibility could be that he was just doing something criminal, but secret. yeah, right, right, yeah, it could, yeah, anything. That was clearly up to something that the mom didn't know about, and something that was so bad that their entire family was sort of shattered by yeah. whatever. And it was. he clearly feels guilt about it, right? Because he was the one who apparently. I could it. explain Sherlock Holmes chapter one, the video game that I played, also <laughs> a rooted trauma involving his parents. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's a popular. Play place to go no i mean it make, again like sort of a, like you said it makes sense to it's sort of start sort of like there. a basic uh armchair psychology thing it's right like, it's like it's the parents something in your childhood this kid's weird he's a weird adult uh he probably something happened to, fucked up in his childhood right. although it does make me wonder like is there out there a take on sherlock no he had a great childhood he's just weird yeah <laughs> everyone else is really <laughs> it's very well adjusted well and the thing is <laughs> mycroft is seven years older so it's very easily 
it's very easy for him, for like it to have only affected Sherlock or to have hit him a lot harder, right? Because Mycroft would have been old enough to like handle it or right. process it better. Um, so you can kind of get away with Mycroft being like more stable and Sherlock being shattered up. by yeah. yeah, yeah. So there are ways to kind of like if you want to play with that in your in your pastiche, then you can do that pretty easily, and and people have a lot. Uh-huh. This happens a lot. Uh, I'm not gonna talk about Muffet Sherlock. But suffice to say, there's also stupid shit with the parents and the the family in that one. In elementary, I think it's just his dad just is miserable. (laughs) His dad is a miserable bastard. I like elementary. Elementary is good. But like, it's suffice to say, like, it's, you know, you're pretty safe with assuming that his family life isn't good. Yeah, right. That makes sense. It's a good thing to work with and a good thing to assume if you want to get into it. I frankly like, out of all the takes recently, I'm going to go out there on a limb and say I really like Enola Holmes. What's that take? Enola Holmes is like, their mother is some sort of radical feminist, sort of like terrorist (laughs) almost, where she's like like pipe bombing places. Love that. So she raised Enola. She stayed around long enough to like half raise Enola and then like disappeared to do... um, Radical feminism. feminism. Yeah. Like, yeah, suffragetting pipe bombing things. (laughs) And then like... Enola's just kind of, like, left to her own devices for a bit. And eventually, like, Sherlock Holmes d- agrees to, like, become Enola's ward so that she's, like, not, like, having to go to, like, boarding school or whatever because Mycroft is like, what the fuck? Why are we letting this girl, like, right. exist but on her own? Um, and it, they don't really talk about the dad that much, uh, really at all, as far as I know. But I like the idea that, like, they had a weird family. <laughs> yeah. It's just a weird family. It's not so much bad. <laughs> it's just weird. Like, the mother was, like, clearly very intelligent, clearly, uh-huh. like, raised her family... In a weird, like, they raised three very smart people in, in different ways. Yeah, still still not great that she, like, like well, sorry, I'm not, I can't raise you. Right, I'm abandoning I have to my go do, child, yeah. Yeah, I'm abandoning my child uh, to because go I do. have to go do my political things. Yeah, <laughs> my, my terrorism. My right. political terrorism. It's, like, light terrorism. She's not, like, killing people, but she is, like, Making like blowing statements. up mailboxes yeah. and, like, yeah. Yeah, honestly, we stand. <laughs> yeah, we do, we stand. We stand <laughs> Helena Bottom Carter. <laughs> That's who it is? <laughs> That's great. I feel great. like it's Helena Bottom Carter. I'm not entirely sure um maybe i should double check like i don't have like a strong opinion on either thing i think it's fun if you want to do your angst fic absolutely give holmes a trauma sure uh-huh. have his parent die or do something you know like be one of them is abusive or awful or you know do something fun with that but right. it's not necessary but they did it they seem to did it but they did not to like much effect because it's just used very quickly in that flash right and again we don't really get what's happening except that it was something that bad, really yeah. ruined his parents relationship yeah. and made the dad mad at him and again this is all my long way of saying there is no real canonical backstory for Holmes in the Arthur Conan Doyle text no. and so like you can other than he went to Cambridge and right. chemistry you can get a few things there you can extrapolate details if you want but for the most part if you wanted to write a movie or a story about young Sherlock Holmes you kind of have an open playing field of shit to do like there's not a whole lot you'd have to adhere to necessarily yeah and this movie movie does what a lot of prequel stories tend to do, where this movie wants to introduce you to most of the characters who will matter later on. It wants to explain to you why their tics are their tics. Mm-hmm. It wants to do the cute little things where uh, Elizabeth's uncle leaves Sherlock Holmes a deerstalker cap, and he puts it on, and everyone's like, oh, he looks so silly with a deerstalker cap, Holmes. Take it off, you goof-goof. Fan service. Yes. Goof. Yeah. They do that again with the pipe at the end. Right, they did with the pipe, too, where like Watson buys a pipe, and he gives it to Holmes, and it's like, here, like maybe someday you'll use this pipe. It's like, ha ha Sherlock will. Holmes loves a pipe. You've got all it that sort of shit. Cocaine needle. Maybe yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard of you try this cocaine hey, before? Shut up. 
Yeah. So that, that is kind of, I, I think, almost the inherent risk. I, I feel you, you have that temptation whenever you're writing a prequel to something that people kind of know fairly well, that you want to go in and be like, let's explain why he's like this, where he got this thing. Or it's like, it's like the solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, conundrum. Where it's like, like how did he meet Chewbacca? Where did he get his gun? Why do his pants look uh, that way? Where did he get the last name Solo? So I would even, I would point to Solo, though, as an example of, Things that were not questions and that you made questions, right? right. But that also it you made it feels, and answered it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the answers they give are not satisfying. Well, it, it's also the, I mean, it's mostly just the, the question like, wasn't satisfying, right? Well, it's mostly just like no one was wondering this. No one was wondering like why is his last name Solo? I don't know. It's a universe where well, people's last name are Skywalker. Right. Why is Solo a weird last name? It's also just like not a fun explanation of like oh, it's because some random imperial functionary was like Han you're traveling Solo. alone, therefore you are Solo. And it's like okay, we don't need to do that. yeah, right. It's like, how do you get his gun? I don't care how he got his gun. Whereas, so, like, you well, know, like... The way I see it is there's two ways to go with this type of thing. You yeah. either, like, minimize it and do very little, or you you have to take it all the way to 11. <laughs> um, which I don't think this movie commits enough. No, I, I will yeah. agree. The movie does a handful of things yeah. where it kind of winks at it, but doesn't really... It, I did, like, I, the Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1 is a very similar game where it does its Sherlock Holmes before he becomes Sherlock Holmes, and he's, like, a, he's like 21 or something. Uh-huh. And it fully commits. It's all the way to 11. To the point that it, like, he meets young Arsene Lupin at some point. Like, he faces off against, like, Babby Lupin. It's like, why? Why? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. He meets, like, there's, like, a reference to Mor- like, a, a baby reference to Moriarty that's, like, way too, way too soon. Far too soon. He's just referred to as, like, M. Uh-huh. Which is confusing because there's, like, Mycroft Right, as well, right. <laughs> also kicking around. But, yeah, there's, like, a bajillion. There's so many, like, insane references that you're, like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, I mean, I guess, aside from the Moriarty thing at the end, does it, re- uh, does it tip to any other characters? Well, I mean, Lestrade, right? We talked about the Lestrade. idea that, like, Lestrade, Lestrade's, like, is a character in this. It's not like they're kind of winking. Yeah. At it being you Lestrade. The, you get the violin, the hat, right. the pipe. You have Moriarty. Right. They, no they mention no Mycroft reason. one or two times. Yeah, that like, like Sherlock Holmes is supposed to go to Mycroft. Is the Moriarty thing just supposed to be like, little did you know, it was also his... I mean, the Moriarty thing feels like it's sequel bait for a movie that never happened. Kind of feels like they were hoping to make several young Sherlock movies and it just didn't quite fly. It's really bizarre to me that, like, so you're saying that this guy who was an Egyptian boy that, like, had his homeland fucked up Uh and his, like, land desecrated decided to vow to get revenge because his family were killed in the riot that ensued. And he failed to do that, but he escapes, and now he's just going to be a criminal mastermind. Yep. For its own sake? Yeah, yeah. just for shits and giggles at this point, so basically. So he, like, takes it, he starts from a very personal mode, like... Entirely, I guess at this point, like, he really just needs to one-up Holmes. Right, I was going to say, it also feels like they're, like, now they're doing the whole sort of, like, we created each other kind of right. thing, where it's like, like, you know... Be, the r- right, like, because of you, now I am become Moriarty, yeah. Moriarty master of criminals. Which I find to be weak, because... Then if you if you try to step outside of that motivation, it falls apart because you just set it up to be entirely about this rivalry. Yeah, I mean yeah. Moriarty in and of itself is a pretty like weak villain. Villain to yeah. like ba- to put in to like take and make such a huge thing out of because he exists in like one story. They don't even like really talk about the play. Goes into m- much more detail. The play that's not written by Doyle for, that was written sort of what is the word I'm looking for at the same in his era. Uh huh. Contemporary, oh, contemporaneously. His day. Yeah. The play g- gives Moriarty more depth, I would say, than like the short story, the final problem. But like Moriarty's just like 
a guy who is a criminal mastermind. Right. You don't really know why, other than, like, you know, it's fun, I guess. Yeah. So you kind of have to, like, invent all of that on your own. Right. For the fan community in general, and the, for the world at large, to have taken him and be like, this is the one. This is, like, <laughs> his arch enemy. It's a, somebody guy from one story. Right. Where, like, he's sort of where Sherlock Holmes fake died. I was going to say, like, I mean, it feels like that just happened because that. he was sort of inadvertently responsible for his quote-unquote death. Yeah. And so, like, because of that, he became, like... Like his his antithesis for yeah, all yeah. like it, it is weird that this minor character somehow became in mythos like the, the anti Sherlock Holmes the Joker to his Batman right right know. and it's really just because Doyle was like I just need to do something else right like I just need to get rid of this guy for a while yeah but yeah it's I so you kind more, of have to do your sorry. own work sorry I'm just my the point was you kind of have to do your own work but this isn't it no I, I, agree, I agree it's it's a strange it's a strange way to create it's a strange means of creating a relationship between Holmes and Moriarty it's strange like you said that. It transitions from Moriarty being someone who has like um, a, a pretty sound, uh, you know, motive for revenge, into being like, well, now I'm just gonna fuck things up for the rest of my right. life without tipping my hand. Seven yeah. percent solution. Also, my favorite iteration of how Moriarty is handled. <laughs> how Moriarty what is handled? Okay. Um, cool. for reasons, they're very, it's a very good movie. You should watch. That. I do. I do want to. I keep Who's it. It is. One? It's been on my list. Huh? Who's in that one? I don't know, man. It's um, Alan Arkin Nic- is hot. Nicole Williamson, I, I believe, is in it. Yeah, oh. Nicole Williamson is home, is in right. Alan Arkin is Sigmund Freud. I, I, there's not a whole lot I remember. Again, as I said previously, I mostly know this movie because Sondheim wrote a song for it. That is why, That's like, fun. I'm kind of aware of it. Do we want to? Are we done talking about prequel? Do you want to get into the this particular movie? Yeah, let's get yeah. into like the bones of this particular yeah. story. So, right. as we were kind of talking about when we were watching this movie the there there is certainly a mystery to be explored in this movie there is a mystery that's solved but the mystery is not a particularly complex one no it's pretty straightforward yeah. honestly most of this mystery just kind of involves you know you find the thing which directs you to this guy which directs you to this thing which directs you to this guy and you kind of go along with it. there's not really a whole lot of guessing as to who did it there's not really a whole lot of red herrings there's or anything like that occasionally sequences in which you're following Sherlock kind of like nailing down a clue or something right but there's not that many of them, and I don't know. They're usually kind of more glory moments yeah. than just sort of like putting the mystery together. Right. It is sort of just go talk to this guy, and he'll set you on the path to this, and then you find this item, and it takes you to this guy, which is fine. Right. Um, I just think the movie tries to then cut in a lot of like boarding school shenanigans to try to like maybe flesh, uh, pad it out a bit, flesh it out, sort of yeah. delay progress on the central mystery for a while. Yeah, that's fair. You start off with, like, cute boarding school antics. And then once you kind of get past that, then it's like, now we can focus on the mystery. Right. Now that we've had all these adorable little sequences of the boys' Which school. basically just boils down to <laughs> the British people stomped all over the Egyptian people's territory, essentially. Right, they desecrated, they desecrated like, a, a, a pyramid. A right, yeah, a temple and the burials of five Egyptian princes. Is, right. These Egyptian people are mad. understandably mad yes. about this and are killing off the guys who put forth the money t- that inadvertently caused this desecration right. while they were trying to build a luxury hotel. Yes. That basically funded the whole project. Right. And then as a part of that plan, they've essentially, see if I got this right, recreated <laughs> that pyramid. They built a wood. temple out of wood in a warehouse underground. Oh, although, hilariously, I just love that they knock out just enough of the warehouse warehouse, or the warehouse ceiling. ceiling just to have the top of the pyramid the sticking the out pyramid. there. Yeah. Which, again, feels like you could have scaled that down or yeah, something. Just, I don't know. Just I don't scale. want to tell you how to build your pyramid. Um, I was also just obsessed that when they go inside the big wooden structure, there's suddenly, like, brick walls. Yeah, that is, it, it does feel like... And, like, med- metal And when they show them escaping and... the pyramid, how I said there's, like, that Scooby-Doo hallway that 
that they mm-hmm. like like where where well, is this? Again, I think it's again, it's not the space doesn't like it don't tell you the space very well, but I think it's because it's like integrated with a warehouse. Right. So they right. must be drifting into with like an actual out. building yeah. or something at some point. Yeah. Your sense of space is kind of skewed. The moment you go inside this wood structure, because you think to yourself, we were inside a wood structure, and then all of a sudden you've got actual brick right. and everything like that coming around, which it's fine. It's not the biggest issue. It's fine. It's a little confusing a little in terms of layout. Yeah. And this was all to basically sacrifice They were going Elizabeth. to... They wanted to kill five young British girls. Right. To kind of make up for that. The five Egyptian princesses whose graves were desecrated. Which also feels like... I, I feel like if you were writing this story and you really wanted to do something like that, you could have it be like the five granddaughters of the original right. guys or something like that. Maybe just the five children. Yeah, or like if you want like five girls, it's just like get... Like, each of these guys, like, there happen to be, like, five daughters between these six guys, so you are getting retribution by killing these five girls who are the offspring of these guys for the verb. But it's not really that. Right. They're still getting back at the guys who wanted to build the hotel by killing them, but incidentally, we also want to kill some girls so that we can replace the bodies of these Egyptian princesses. The other confusing part of it, though, is just visually. Like, I understand that this is a group of Egyptian people, you know, taking their revenge, but they're all played by very clearly white Yeah, everyone looks pretty white. <laughs> so, it gets confusing at times where I'm like, because there's the there's the point at which, like, the maid, Elizabeth's maid, is, yeah, is, one, of the, is, is one of the cultists. And well, she's his sister. She's Moriarty's sister. Like, snatches the wig off. But right, just, there's like, a lot of wig snatching. A lot of wig snatching. Yeah, some kiss. <laughs> and then they might like, as he snatches its wig. But, like, snatches her, like, updo wig to reveal this, like, Top shaved knots. head aside from, like, a long, creepy ponytail that's, right. like, green or wrapped in, like, a Yeah, like, cloth. blue or some shit. Well, yeah. All, it, I know, it looks like blonde ponytails. I will like, say, I do know, know this from, uh, from having to do research at work before. Uh, apparently, they believed that all gods and like celestial beings had gold and blue hair as well as gold skin. So I think that maybe that's what it was supposed yeah, to fair. emulate. Fair, fair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just confusing because uh, when I first watched this, I was like, Oh, so th- are these just like, is this, is this like an Egyptian artifact that just got co-opted by a bunch of just like, it does feel like a whole white. Right. People? It feels but like it could be. I that. don't think that's what's happening. No, though. it's not. It's not. It does feel like that you could read it that way. And I also, so then I just, I find it hard to blame these people. Cause I'm like, yeah, you were, you were, you were wrong. Yeah. You, you were understandably wronged in this scenario. It, it's, it's, it's one of those issues where surely at the time in the eighties, it was not something they considered. And surely again, if you're writing this as a pastiche, as I said, or Sherlock Holmes stories, it might not be something that was brought up as right. like wrong. But Lee, as you said, Sherlock Holmes usually has enough wherewithal and intelligence to look at yeah. the situation and be like, no, these people were wronged in this situation. Yeah. I don't, I don't, Sherlock Holmes doesn't really have like a strong, like, you're saying he's on an SJ. Is he not woke? <laughs> he's not. He's neither woke nor is he like um, loyal to the empire. Yeah. This is the word. I don't know what the word is for like yeah. conservative. He's just like science. So he's he knows he knows things. So he would be the one that's like objectively looking. Yeah, at, like yeah. I know I know that I had to do all this research on Egyptian culture, and yeah, that was a boo boo you did. Yeah, so they, they got mad and right. they fucked you, and they, now they want revenge. That's what right. happens. Those are the facts. Right, and it does that's feel what like his cake would be right. So it does feel like if you wanted to sort of incorporate that trait of Sherlock Holmes into this movie, you could have perhaps a, a realization from Holmes where he says like, sure, it's wrong perhaps that they're killing more people, but on the other hand, I understand where they're coming from right. here yeah. because. You know, we stole their land, like, killed I, a bunch of would, people. It would absolutely make sense for Watson to be outraged by 
like they're killing of British citizens and Sherlock yeah. Holmes to be like, well, think about it from this their way. point of yeah. view, it's not a, it's it's like fair, right? Like, that's what they're. This is their form of revenge. If only, if only Watson was like, useful for anything. Yeah, Watson matters. Kind of like he would kind of think about it from like an anthropologist's point of view. I think right. he's like, I he's not sort of taking sides with like one superior. He's just saying like, no, not necessarily about right, what it is. On that but side, he, it's correct, yeah. right? Which would be easy enough, I think, to do in a scene of having you know even Watson just be like, I can't believe they would do this right you'd be like well Watson it's quite elementary because Watson's like incredibly (laughs) British like yeah Watson's quintessentially like empire archetype yeah queen god save the queen yeah yeah yeah. that almost feels like it kind of ties into the idea that the the characters in this movie are not super fleshed out in that respect you you get the details of Sherlock Holmes's backstory like we said you get the idea that you know something happened with his parents you get you get senses of character traits about him that he's super intelligent a little you know, th- this movie, I guess, like I said, kind of tries to explain why Holmes is more emotionally closed off yeah. later in life by killing his girlfriend, mm. um, you know, by just fridging her again, like we said, while watching this. And so I, I, I guess you you can say that those are all character traits for this character. But by and large, you don't really get a lot of fleshed out characters. You don't really get a whole lot of moments like we were just saying right now where you could have had. Uh, discussion between Holmes and Watson, where Watson's like, I think this, and Holmes is like, but think of it this way. I you also, also, you also, sorry, go first. No, you please. Um, so you, you also don't get what I want to see more out of like young Sherlock Holmes is like I want to see him fuck up, and yeah. he doesn't yeah. really fuck up. Whereas I no, think he, he doesn't. Should be impetuous and overconfident as children are. Right. He should never step onto something. Right. Yeah. And even in the in this movie, there are scenes where, like, the grown-ups are like, Holmes, you fucked up. And he's like, but I thought I was doing what was right. And it's like, well, you, it turns out you were. Like, right. wink, wink, you were doing the right we thing all along. Exactly and we were fucking right up. Yeah. I, I agree with you there, Lee. Like, there should be a little bit more. Like, it, it feels like his character journey is become more closed off emotionally. Yeah. Because, like, literally the Wraith is like, well, that's what you have to do, Sherlock Holmes. You have to become less emotional. But yeah. I feel like what it should be more is, like, he should learn... Thing, he should learn other things along the way that he does. He learns by fucking up, by like right. jumping maybe, a conclusion. Right, like be less impulsive, which I think yeah. is perfectly maybe fine. Like he learns to be more Vulcan like. Yeah, like he has, he has to complete Keeping his the, emotions in check. Right, right. He has to complete the emotion purging ceremony right. back on Vulcan later on. He has on. to go uh, do Ponfar or <laughs> yeah. whatever that is. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, the thing I was going to say, though, was I wonder, because, I mean, I'm not wrong to understand this came out after into, at least the first Indiana Jones, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This came out after, I think, all of the Indie. No, oh, no, no. All no, three. no, no, no. The first two. I'm sorry. The, the last one didn't come out until like Well, nine. because aspects of this did feel like Temple of Doom. And then and overall, yeah. this this did have a similar similar to Indiana Jones, not only from the sort of adventure, light action scenes, hijinks kind of thing, but also in how it, I don't think it was as heavy in this way, but it was an element of uh, kind of dealing in almost like pulp archetypes. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that is partially why we don't go to real emotional depth on any character, and that's maybe also why because. Within these pulp pastiches, they're not usually questioning things like, you know, why are the Egyptians mad at us? All we did was right. destroy their temple. Right, that's fair. Um, and not that that excuses it at all, but I wonder how much of that is responsible for what we're seeing. Uh, yeah, I also, I mean, I, I just sort of don't think that I like anyone's. If we're getting into characters at this point, I don't really think anyone's characters that fleshed. Like, I don't really understand. Anyone? Um, <laughs> wait, what is the lady's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Is it Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was Elizabeth, and I got it wrong. 
Yeah, I don't really really get a sense for Elizabeth and or why they like each other. No, I agree, especially because that's what I think that's what threw me when you when we were watching this first time and you said like they're a couple and I was like, are they a couple? I always thought they were just kind of flirty and you're like, yeah. no, they're a couple. And like I think you're right. I do think that the movie wants you to walk in on this being like yeah, yeah. this is a boyfriend girlfriend. But at the time watching this, I was kind of like, I think they're just close friends who are a little yeah. flirty with each other. But I don't think that's correct. But yeah, I think because of the incredibly like point five dimensional aspects yeah. of Elizabeth's character. Character, it's sort of hard to look at her and be like they're in a relationship why but like it, I don't I don't want to like cast aspersions but she seems unremarkable she does <laughs> for someone to catch like Sherlock Holmes' right. attention I don't think that makes sense there's right like, it's just like, that like she's cute and I guess yeah, that's yeah. it and she's the niece of your mentor yeah, yeah. and so this is the closest thing you can get to fucking your mentor and or your sister yeah. um there was like two times I want to say I can't, I can't tell you specifically because I'm not remembering, but where she kind of like realized something that the others. Well, didn't. there was the thing with the cloth when she's like, Uncas bit that guy as right. he was running away. If we can find. And also a weird thing where they're like, if we could find the cloth, we'll oh figure out who God. he is. And they have a montage of them looking for cloth and they're like, oh, we found it. Here it is. <laughs> Which is just like, <laughs> why? So right. Like, why not just have her say, I have it here in my pocket? Well, it was this cloth. It was like describing things <coughs> that were like, would have, I guess, meant like a scene change, right? Because they're like, we went off and did this and then we looked here and then we did that. Well, like Watson's voiceover is like I I turned I turned on the machine yeah and I don't know how machines work and I didn't know how to turn it off right it's like why is this right like why are you telling us this old man it it felt weird just because I was like are you recapping a show that's already right so like a lot of that yeah quite a lot of. Sherlock of like Watson's voice like uh, yeah. as, a, as a sidebar real quick let's talk about the voiceover thing yes. because so this as as the Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories were this is narrated by Watson but in this case it is an old Watson looking back on him meeting Sherlock Holmes which I don't hate as a framing device no it's sense. fine but this movie uses the voiceover in a lot of strange ways it uses like sometimes like I said I think there are a few effective moments where he talks about at the funeral for a wax flat or whatever his name is he's like Sherlock Holmes only cried twice in front of me and this is one of those times it's like Perfect. that's fine you can say that. But then there are other times where he's like, then we went searching for the cloth and I turned on a machine. Boy, what a fucking idiot it was. I couldn't turn it off. And then at the end, whenever they're leaving the school, like right as the movie's wrapping up, he's like, and then Sherlock Holmes explained to me how he figured all this shit out. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't do that in voiceover. <laughs> Just have him explain to you how he did that. Or it feels like the audiences were confused when watching this movie and they were like, we got to explain what's happening in these scenes better. So have someone come in and do voiceover and tell you what the discussion was supposed to be about because what? they're not getting it. What was that one bit? Where we just were kind of watching them, like semi bird's eye, just walk down an alley from like one building to another outside, and it's Watson VO. And it's summarizing to you all of the, like, detective work that Holmes did off screen. Right, previously set, before this. To set them up for that point. Don't use your VO to to solve right, the it's mystery. The, I think it's the part use where he's... Use your VO for, like, the other shit. Right, I think it's the part where he's talking about... Holmes looked at the string and realized it was covered in paraffin yeah. wax, which right. can be found it's, only in this one it place. It seems like it was, like... It, either way, it was going to be, like, either a boring scene of him looking through a microscope and being like, this is paraffin right. from this factory. That's better there than it is, like, them walking in a street... Right. Right. And, and yeah, and having someone explain while they're walking. After the fact. Right, yeah. which again, like walking through the streets is not visually dynamic. So if you want to do voiceover of Sherlock Holmes looking through a microscope, that's fine. Like if you want to explain what Sherlock Holmes is thinking through voiceover, fine. But like you're showing him looking through a microscope and then he's like, got it. And then they cut to the next scene of them walking and the voiceover is like, let me explain to you what he got. It really, <laughs> it really does feel like they realized they needed a scene. Yeah. They realized they needed more of a bridge between the, the mystery solving and, oh, we need to go to the paraffin factory or whatever. Yeah. Um, Maybe they forgot. So they were like, uh, what do we got over here on the B-roll? Maybe they literally forgot. What do we have here on coverage? (laughs) 
They they just had got it and they forgot to be like, what did you get? Troy? Actually, say paraffin. And so people were like, wait, what did he get? They assembled the film together. They're like, oh wait. Because doesn't it like face them and go like the game is afoot? And yeah, he walks out the door and then he goes aerial. Right. And then like then he told us. Yeah. Literally, maybe never wrote the scene where he like explained. Right. I just looked at the microscope and found paraffin, which means it's here. I have a one note about old voice of Watson yeah, talking yeah. over this, which is that the fact that young Watson is in this movie should already take me out, but I don't have to think about it until old voice, old man Watson is narrating over it. Mm-hmm. I can't reconcile this with canon because <laughs> what the fuck happened? Like now I'm like, what happened in A Study in Scarlet when you met in college and you were you didn't have that conversation of like, oh shit. Yeah. Remember boarding school? Right, you know right, right. We'll, we'll never know because they would have approached that in young Sherlock potentially. Yeah. But it's like, I just can't, now I can't reconcile. Now I have to think about the fact that they met again as adults and, mm-hmm. and like didn't really, yeah. Oh my god. They just, right, they're just like, let's reconnect. Yeah. Like, hey, remember that insane caper we did? Yeah, and Holmes is like, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about remember that. Remember that time <laughs> like, I envisioned a fridge of food attacking me? Right. <laughs> Holmes is like, I'm really not interested. And it was like inside a graveyard. <laughs> yeah. That was creepy too because that little fi- I actually can we do another sidebar? Yeah. Just, I loved all the puppetry. I thought it was a lot yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, well um, yeah. all the cream puffs. Yeah, all we should cream puffs. We should talk briefly, I think, about the visual effects too, just since we're sort of here. But yeah, talk about that. I never in a million years would have told you, hey, I bet in this young Sherlock movie from the eighties is gonna have like Jim Henson level just like fun puppetry hallucination. Right. It's, it's a lot of like stop motion um, food, and is it's what it is. So good. Yeah, um, as, as much as it is I it is a little bit like well no, I don't even want to say out of place. But I mean, we can talk about this when we talk about Watson's character, but like the Watson that they're going for here, he is clearly of the Nigel Bruce variety. And so when Watson has, right, and overweight. So when Watson has a hallucination in this, it's like, oh no, all the food that I love is attacking me. The little fat kid is having a hallucination about food. And it's like, okay. Yeah, it was giving me vibes to um, remember in Matilda where the trench bowl makes that kid eat all the- Bruce Bogtrotter eat the chocolate cake. Eat the whole cake. And it's just like, ugh. (laughs) Uh, has that same feeling as you watch all of these like pedophores come to life and just <laughs> ram themselves yeah, it, yeah they, like, they like yeah. sausages tie him up and then like cream puffs start it's jamming like, themselves so down his throat violent. if you're watching it sometimes where the food's like yay what fun as they're like crabbing themselves yeah, down his throat um, I love that I loved the zombie dinner bird coming back to life yeah I loved the the sconce and the the hat rack attacking that guy that was cool right the only one who didn't get fun puppets was Sherlock. Sorry, dude. Yeah, Sherlock just, just gets traumatic memories. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, like I mean, at least Elizabeth has like a skeleton burying her. I don't know. It was a bit of fun. Um, it was unexpected. Uh, to your point, it's sort of like when the California raisins pop up mm-hmm. in a uh, Better Off Dead, but they're, they're yeah. chicken nuggets. <laughs> the hamburgers. Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody wants to. <laughs> you should re-edit this movie with that song playing <laughs> as oh Watson's having his hallucination. Please. Oh my god. I'm so good. <laughs> please. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought that was just such a cool little weird thing yeah. that I, I was not expecting. No, I, I do agree. And I, I again, like we had also talked about briefly earlier, the one scene really of note here from the visual uh, effects perspective is where the reverend is in the chapel yeah. and all of a sudden a knight from a stained glass window jumps onto the ground and he's still in two dimensions. He still looks like stained glass and he's advancing on him with the sword. And, like the camera moves around him so you see he's flat. And this was, as you said, when we were looking through Wikipedia, it was the first 
full-length movie to have a fully realized CGI character, character. right? Because mm-hmm. there had certainly been CGI in movies prior, but it was kind of like you, you had things with Tron where it was sort of like you were visualizing in that respect. And it was animating on top of a person. Right, right. Or, or you had things where it was like, we're watching a monitor and the monitor has a computer effect. Right. So it's like, this is how we destroy the Death Star. And it's sphere made of dots. And that's what you got. But here, it's this is an actual character who exists in the real world who does not look realistic in the sense that he doesn't look like a human, but looks realistic in the sense that he looks like stained glass. And I get why this is an Oscar-nominated film for visual effects. Yeah, sort of, I again, I have not seen Willow in a long time. Or Cocoon, it was Cocoon, Cocoon. sorry, yeah. I have not seen <laughs> Cocoon in a long time. Willow is not winning. No, Willow, Willow ain't winning from the little Kevin Pollock. But, um... It is it, it is kind of notable in that respect. I feel like it probably should have won the Oscar for visual effects against Cocoon, again, having not seen Cocoon in a while. I've never seen that. But I, it, I feel like for a long time, the Academy was like, well, using computers is kind of cheating. You shouldn't be doing that. I think it, I mean, especially for CG that was that old, you know, 1985, mm-hmm. it, I thought it held up really well. I yeah. thought it looked great. Uh, I thought they were picking a smart thing to render. Yeah. Which it makes sense if it looks blocky and unrealistic because it's literally... A, Shards of glass, glass, right? Yeah. I really, I again, I thought that was just like a cool treat. Yeah, and it's interesting too because like it feels like that could have been something you very easily did with stop motion and composite into the scene, mm-hmm. like they did with the little gargoyles or the food. But for whatever reason, they chose to do it uh, with CGI, and it worked. Yep. Anyway, so that's like the one uh, sidebar, I guess, for why why this movie kind of is a historical footnote in uh, you know special effects in, in Hollywood. cinematic history. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> So yeah, anyway, anything else you guys wanted to go into about story, or we should just go full on into characters at this point? Yeah, we kind of dipped into characters a little bit. Yeah, we did dip into characters we can, a little bit, so we we'll... deep, deep dive. Right, not so... sticky characters. Right, no, I mean, like we said, not a lot of dimension to these no. characters. I don't really... You asked me um, when we started this movie mm-hmm. earlier, did it feel like Sherlock Holmes? And I'm like, no. It feels nothing. It feels like a childhood... I agree. ...this game movie. They right. the name Sherlock Holmes on it. This right. guy doesn't... This guy doesn't act at all like I would imagine Sherlock Holmes would act. Right, he has aspects, I think, of the yeah. of what we associate with the character in pop culture, but in terms of the vibes of this movie, no. Like we said, it's very much sort of, it feels like a childhood antics movie with kids in boarding school, mm-hmm. and you also have, like you said, Chris, elements of Indiana Jones, which also makes sense, given that Spielberg was an executive producer on this. And also, like we saw watching this, Christopher Columbus wrote, Chris Columbus wrote this movie, <laughs> not not the not, not the genocidal maniac, um, the the boring director who wrote this movie and it feels like if you were a studio exec watching this movie you'd be like hey this guy should be involved in Harry Potter it's like British kids in a boarding school you've got two boys and a girl and they're solving mysteries and there are like vaguely heightened magical elements happening Watson even sort of looks like Daniel Radcliffe did when he was little I guess so I guess so yeah Watson's a little Watson's a little more baby faced it's the hair and glasses yeah yeah anyways so yeah like you said Lee this does not feel overtly like a Sherlock Holmes movie and really any way um, to like make another comparison with like another I can't help but compare it to chapter one as like like Babby Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. like it's just so much it's like Sherlock Holmes chapter one is like very indulgent fanficy. yeah but still just like so much better like you can tell that these people like actually were like we're gonna try to rever- regress Sherlock Holmes back a few years because you have a character that's like he has like all of the like confidence of Sherlock Holmes that you would have in like the stories but like had no experience. Mm-hmm. And so he, like, walks into a room and is like, yeah, I have no... And sometimes, like, A, because sometimes you're making the choices, so you can just make a mistake. But right. also, like, sometimes he will just, like, put his foot in it a lot of the time. <laughs> and be like, um, no, that's actually not the case. And he's like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and also just, like, the lack of... Um, like the disregard for like protocol or like social which you yeah. don't really see at all from Nicholas Rose's yeah. character yeah. at all 
Nicholas Rose's character seems pretty well adjusted. He definitely is like a thorn in the side of Lestrade. He he's not like you know an asocial weirdo. He no. knows how yeah. to exist in society. There's like, there's like a moment. He's clearly in, uh, very popular. Yeah, like the kids at school seem to mostly like him. Yeah, there's a moment in like the there's like a sequel to chapter one that takes place right after where that's after he meets. He's like his first adventure with like Watson in this fake universe. And they're, like, at a bar, and there's, like, a bartender that you can, like, deduce is pregnant, and you can just, like, open the conversation with her like, after doing it, like, how's how the baby? Yeah, how long have you been pregnant for? And Watson is immediately, like, uh, <laughs> what my friend is trying to say here is. <laughs> oh, my like, God. That's the kind of thing I want to see. Right, in, like, right, which you don't get a whole lot of in, in no. this movie. Watson, because, again, Watson is... First of all, we've talked about the fact that, like, they cast Watson to be, doof. like, Nigel Bruce. Right, again, like, baby Nigel Bruce. Like, which is not, which is, like, a bad... They even put, right. him, they even put him in the kind of, like, big three-piece suit yeah. that makes him look much rounder. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, th- th- this, again, this is supposed to be, like, a little fat kid. He's kind of bumbling, he's well-intentioned, and not unintelligent, but not, per he se... Is. He's useless in this movie, though. Yeah. But real quick, anything else you want to say about Holmes? Just, like, the portrayal Um, of Nicholas Baroque as Holmes? Nicholas, yeah. I mean, again, I think he's just, like, too... Again, there's... Everyone's kind of bland. Yeah. They're just kind of, like, bland kids. So he just comes across as, like, yeah, he's smart, but he also has a crush on a girl like all kids do. Right. And he doesn't have much personality. Exactly. No, I, I think that Nicholas Rogue looks kind of like what you might imagine a young Sherlock Holmes to look like. Like, mm-hmm. if you threw this kid in a casting call, you'd be like, yeah, this kid kind of has the look that we're I don't going like for the, here. I, don't, I have problems with the look. Yeah. He gave me, like I was saying, he gave me baby Dustin Hoffman it's in, the curly, in the face. It's the curly, poofy hobbit hair for yep. me, which is very, I mean... Very 80s. Right, it is very, very 80s. It, it just, again, yeah. it, it's, it's one of those things how, like, Luke's hair in Star Wars is very 70s <laughs> yeah. despite being or, a sci-fi. He's like seems like he's ten years older than everyone else. This right, he is. He so he's a very tall, skinny kid. He towers over, and him. yeah, like he is and as he tall. Right, he is as tall as Moriarty to the point that in the scene where they're practicing fencing at the school, you would be forgiven for not knowing which is which whenever mm-hmm. they do wide shots. Um, yeah, so it's it's. I, I think it's a potentially interesting casting choice, but because the character has kind of so little to work with, it just kind of feels like yeah. Again, like the two-dimensional character that he is. Watson. Again. So finds so just the like same generic, wig from yeah. She's the Man. It's generic, like you said, someone said, like, audience surrogate, like... Yeah. Right, his his job is to ask questions that the audience would yeah. ask. Yeah, react. Yeah. react to whatever Holmes is doing and, or whatever and is going like, on. Yeah, like, every man slash, like, kind of goofy comedic relief. Right. And doesn't it, really contribute to any solution. Right, and like we said, because... He's along, he's always like, oh, Holmes, I don't want to... Right, right. And because, like we said, he is written in the Nigel Bruce mold of Watson, Watson, he does, I, I think that contributes to him having almost nothing of value to contribute to this movie, because whenever you take into account that Nigel Bruce Watson was portrayed as this sort of, like, bumbling, you know, like, well-intentioned, like we said, bumbling goof, yeah. not dumb, but not particularly, you know, super intelligent. And so when you're like, this is who Watson is, so we need a baby version of that, this is what you end up with. You end up there's, with a character like, who has nothing to offer. An especially egregious scene in the latter half of the movie, like, Act 2, Act 2 to Act 3 break, where, like... They're trying to stay get like locked up in a room after getting caught or whatever, and and Sherlock Holmes immediately, like, well, I'm gonna break out of here and escape and solve the crime, and Watson's like, I'm not going. Right. And Sherlock Holmes, and they, they have this conversation where he's like, What are you a pussy? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, is like, 
What are you, some kind of pussy, Watson? Yeah. You a whip? You a loser? And Watson's like, no, I'm not a whip. Yeah, no, fine, I'm fine, I'll go. Fine, I'll go. Yeah. It's like the it's like not the worst, like... It would have made chicken sounds if it was the 90s. For both characters, the worst character moment and yeah. dialogue. Yeah. It's like out, horrendously out of character for both of them. To Agreed. Be. I'm not a whip. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the actual dialogue was like, what well, I thought you were stout of heart. Right, stout of heart, yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh, I am. I am oh, fine, fine, we'll go. Fine, we'll go. Yeah. Remember when he, after his little acid trip, uh, he sees a little, like, cream puff on a tray, and he's like, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> Funny callback. Yeah, very, we all laughed. Our sides. We all LOL. Yeah. I'm just gonna put it out there. It, even if I had like a bad trip on LSD and I had like hallucinations of cream puffs attacking me and I saw a cream puff, been like I gotta I'd eat probably, you. I, I might be off of it for like a week or so, yeah. but then after a point, I'd be like, you know what? I do like cream puffs. You know what? Cream puffs good. Away. You're gonna come alive and do it to me if I don't do it to you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's either be eaten your cream puff. Uh, so Elizabeth, who again, who? What, what is I her mean, character? I need to see more. Like I need to see her like uh, display like. Like, anything? Her anything, connection yeah. with Sherlock is so perfunctory and it's, it's like an explained. informed trait. Like we we don't yes. see it, we just hear about They're it. Just told, right. Like they have crush. Like I guess right. they like they, they kind of put their faces close together at one point in like the library or whatever. Yeah. She kind of is like, oh what if it's this? And they're like, hey, that's a good idea, like right. one or two times. Right. Like the most she really contributes is like the scene where she remembers that her dog stole some cloth. And all but, you needed sorry, go Yeah, ahead. no, no, you go first. I was saying, all you needed is like in the scene where she's got the watch the guy's like, check out my new watch, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Isn't it a cool watch? And he's, like, watching from afar, kind of, like, vaguely pissed off and, like, maybe a little jealous of yeah. the situation. All you need is for her to point out, like, this watch is a fucking fake. Yeah, right. Instead of him going over. Yeah. And have him be like, I'm good. This <laughs> yeah. is great. This is the one for me. Yeah, yeah. That's all you needed to, A, like, prove that she's, uh-huh. like, like... a character of intelligence who's worthy yes, of, like, attention. Yeah, on yeah. par with him and that there's, like, a mutual attraction there. That's all you needed. Right, but, but sh- she does nothing. And when, then she uh, dies and you're like, okay. Well, right, and the first time she actually... <laughs> face that you made yeah there's we can't get on, on the podcast but it was the best like well well there it is <laughs> there she went well, yeah, what's she gonna do the first time that they do send her off to do something on her own holmes is like go back to your uncle's apartment take as much crap of importance as you can and we'll meet you up later as soon as she goes up there she is immediately captured by mrs drib so- hypnotized so that she's catatonic for most of act three of the movie mm-hmm. it's like again the one time this character has a chance to do something on her own she immediately gets captured and does like nothing of value until she is rescued. What do you expect? It is right. the 80s. It is. No, it is. It is the 80s and I realize also well, that... we can't do things. Yeah, I know. And, it, and it's again, it's an 80s movie of a story taking place in Victorian England. Right, so yeah. like, you're probably thinking like, well, women didn't do stuff back then. Ergo, we shouldn't make Ever. women do stuff. They did right. nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So All like, those pictures of like buff Victorian ladies don't look at them. No, right. no. Look at those. Don't, I don't know. Oh, that's not attractive at all. No muscles. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Who else do you want to say in terms of characters? Like Moriarty, I guess? Like Wraith, Atar? It makes no sense. His character is sort of non-existent. Right. Like, just cut that scene out. Cut that fucking scene out where he's Moriarty. It's so stupid. I also do love how... So, because there is an end credit scene in this movie, but to get to the end credit scene, the end credits are playing over footage of Moriarty on a sled going to this hotel so that you, the viewer, are thinking to yourself, I shouldn't leave because the movie is still unspooling. So I love that they have, like, four minutes of end credits playing just showing this guy 
on a sleigh going into a hotel until yeah. they get to the scene at the end where the lady's like, sign your sign your name here, sir. And he's like, Moriarty. But bum, bum, bum. yeah, right. It, 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 I just love how audiences must have been so not used to the idea of an end credit scene at this point that they, like, they had what? to be like, no, no, no. Movie's still happening. <laughs> Sit here and watch we it. We should do that more often. We should honest. do that more just often. Just have like, people, like <coughs> character like walking down a hallway. Is someone not doing their laundry as the movie yeah. ends? Just hold it. And it, how be like, do you dare how look potentially away? powerful could that be depending on like where the scene ended and what song is playing over the credits? Yeah. Like a character folding laundry. You get the right song. So I would... I would... Yep. Or sad or beautiful or funny or, or I was thinking it's like like the call me by your name Ed credits where it's just Timothy Chalamet crying Staring in front of a fireplace fire. yeah like I don't know shit maybe we should bring this back maybe we should have things happening under Ed credits at this point that would yeah. be fun anyway so yeah I, I, I agree with you Moriarty doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in this movie it doesn't really I, it, it feels like you know he's there because it's a fun fan reference to the idea of like people are aware who Moriarty yeah. is but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but for this character or for the movie frankly even as like, his plan doesn't make much sense either. No, not really. Even a, even as like a character unto himself, Atar, like mm-hmm. it's really silly. It's his plot involves like becoming the fencing instructor, right, at the school to cover for your elaborate. Right, game. like why? Why do you why? need to become the fencing instructor at a school? Why what? do you need to be any of that? Right, couldn't you be working at a shop or right. something, an anonymous job where you're not meeting people on a daily basis? What's your long term plan here, my guy? I don't know. The world needed to be small enough for Sherlock to know him. Right, of so course. Right, it has to be one of those things where like, but they knew each other all this time right. too. So when he comes back in the sequel that will never happen, it'll be more of a connection now. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, you didn't hear that just got greenlit. Ah, what excellent. Oh. Young Sherlock Holmes, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Old Sherlock 35 Holmes. 35 years later. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the same actors playing it. Um, Sherlock Holmes, not so young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not so young Sherlock Holmes. A- aged Holmes. Yeah. I mean, are there any other characters, like, really worth talking about for this, really? Like, everyone, like we said, everyone, it's, it's a who's who of British yeah. character actors. Oh, yeah. Lestrade is yes. Not done great, nor, yeah. nor terrible. I've seen right. worse Lestrades, and I've he's, seen better. Lestrades. He's mostly just sort of shouty and dismissive, right? And it's also weird. I think we had several watching this that he is so much older and in such a position of authority over Holmes when it could be potentially more interesting to have Lestrade be a little bit younger and working his way up through Scotland Yard or whatever. Like you said, he's like a constable, and so yeah. it's like he knows Holmes younger, still, yeah. and like he knows that like. Holmes knows that if he goes to Lestrade, Lestrade has the ear of someone up in charge and, like, could get a message to someone if you needed to. Mm -hmm. But, like, Lestrade is not this sort of high-up, important person in the police. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of like this young beat cop, basically, working his way up. Yeah. But, again, we don't really do that. So you kind of miss the potential to make Lestrade a slightly more interesting character in this movie makes him, which is just sort of grumpy authority figure. Yeah, Lestrade is, I think, better when he's, like, not an antagonistic He's not really. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, people, the police are fucking hiring Sherlock to solve right. crime. He also doesn't really have that much to do with the story in this movie. No. Well, he kind of disappears after he shows up at the house right. with Cragford. I don't know. I don't talk to the guys who dies. Yeah. He's like, thanks for the tip, Sherlock Holmes. We're going to wrap this See up later. now. See you later. And then like kind of disappears for the rest of the movie. Like the worst thing Lestrade does is like not always mention that he had Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock's like, I don't care. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't do this for glory. I live for mystery solving. <laughs> and my guy writes all the books. Now, so everyone knows what I do. <laughs> I got fucking paperbacks, bitch. Yeah. Uh, People know my name. I got street cred. Anyway, I guess that's really all there is to say about characters. Like, I have no other 
characters of note really no there's, there's no other characters yeah. no one else matters yeah uh you know not a whole lot to say about the score it's the composer was a guy named bruce that, Broughton. that who's... fucking um like whatever they use for the egyptian sacrificing theme is, is goes hard oh it does go hard yeah i know i do like yeah. the, like the aggressive chanting that they have yeah, in the yeah, scenes the in the wooden pyramid that's fun i, th- I think he it, it's, again very temple of doom it is very temple very of doom right like yeah Malaram, all that crap yeah, yeah. and like <laughs> the like the main title is like sufficiently Malima. yeah yeah the main title is like a sufficiently jaunty sort of like British schoolboy yeah. theme. Like I think he does he does fine work. He's he's done other scores that I've liked. So it's, like yeah, on the whole, not solid super job. memorable. No, like it's not it's not exceptional, but like it's fine. It's respectable. Well done. Yeah, I got nothing else. I guess. Well done, you. Yeah, well done, you. To say to him. Well, yeah. Else, does anyone want to go first? I don't really have a. I can I just spit all my. I first. can go first. So I, I think like the kind of the biggest sin that this movie commits is I think the the main focus needs to be more on the relationship between Holmes and Watson versus what this movie does where it's kind of incidental to solving a larger mystery. Mm-hmm. So first of all, like I said, there needs to be more focus on their friendship. I think the way it needs to start also is that it is Watson who is already an established student at this school. And then Holmes is the one who like transfers in and Watson, I feel like needs to be sort of a more capable, intelligent person, because as you said, Lee, he offers very little to do in this movie. Yeah. And it's fine if he's not a doctor yet, because obviously he's a child, but he needs to be a person of some intelligence and some conviction. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it's just sort of more that like Watson is like a little bit more, almost cocky and street smart versus Holmes. Well, Watson is all, it is also Watson's job to know the basic shit that Sherlock refuses to learn. Like yeah. the fact that the earth revolves around the <laughs> Like what Sherlock Holmes literally doesn't know because he's like, I don't need to. Yeah. It's not, it's not involved with that. Right. And so I think you what you can kind of do is have it be a little bit more of like an antagonistic friendship. Like I don't want it to be like a frenemies to friends kind of thing. They get on okay, but they're both a little frustrated with each other throughout this entire movie. Like they're both kind of annoyed with each other and the movie is about them sort of understanding each other's quirks and learning to become more friends. I think there is still an issue with Elizabeth not really having a whole lot to do. And I agree that you need a female character in this movie because otherwise it's a total sausage fest. And you've got nothing much else to do. But I think Elizabeth needs to be a little bit more of a proactive character. Like we said, if you still have the scene where she has to get into her uncle's lab and get shit out. There could be a little bit more cat and mouse that she's doing Mrs. Bird before she's caught where she has to like avoid her as she's trying to sneak in and then like Mrs. Bird still catches her because she's a crazy hairless bitch anyway. (laughs) But anyway, so you've got stuff like that. The way I think I want to approach the central mystery, and I spent a a little bit of time debating if I wanted to just do an entirely different mystery or if I wanted to kind of focus on what they have in the movie. And because I didn't feel like really writing a new mystery, what I think it should be is I think it should be this. Again, Moriarty is not involved in this, I don't want that professor to be Moriarty. I do like the idea that there is a professor at school that Holmes really trusts and he's kind of, whatever the opposite of a red herring is, a blue herring, I guess. <laughs> where, like, you think he's your friend for this blue entire mackerel. time. Yeah, he's a yeah. blue mackerel. And so, like, Holmes is always, like, trusting in this guy and he's like, oh, this, like, this professor has, like, all my best interests at heart and he's, like, a really great friend and it turns out he's part of this international conspiracy that's going on. And what the conspiracy is, is I do think that I kind of want to stick to the idea that there were these guys who went to Egypt and desecrated a temple to build a luxury hotel and they start to assume that it is in fact these Egyptian people coming to London to seek revenge but what it actually is is it is the descendants of the guys who built the luxury hotel posing as Egyptians because they're trying like I think like what happened was is there was some sort of like fracas after they left and the Egyptians sort of like took back their land like ooh we're stewing about this so what they're planning to do is pretending that they are members of an Egyptian cult attacking girls in London so that the uh, you know the people in charge like at Scotland Yard or whatever will be like hey like these Egyptian people they're taking all our girls we've got to go down to Egypt and show them fucking what's what like we got to fucking wipe them all out 
And so what it is, it's these guys being like, the easiest way to get this done and to get our land back and to build our luxury hotel that we really want to build is to pretend that we are Egyptian. That way we can create this sort of international incident and we'll end with the British sending their army down there to just sort of like wipe everyone out of this area and then we can kind of go and clean up the mess. Those stakes are much bigger. Right, and, and build our luxury hotel and make lots of money. And so that's what we find out. And the idea is that the teacher is, you know, one of the guys who was involved in this conspiracy as well. He's not Moriarty. He's just like a regularly unpleasant guy who happens to want money and doesn't care about what happens in Egypt. So that's that's my thought. It's that. Good job. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Good job, man. Thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you. I can go next. Yeah. I, I, I was just realizing, though, as you were talking, I was like, this is the second movie that pretty recently has is... Egyptian, at least in themes. Is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, duh, um, of course, yeah. Death duh. on the Nile. Duh, that thing. Uh, duh on the Nile. Um, <laughs> Enough champagne to fill the Nile. <laughs> Enough champagne to fill the Thames. To fill the Thames. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Enough Madeira to fill Scotland Yard. Um, so my... I'm, 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 I'm rethinking the story here. Mm-hmm. Keeping the Egyptian bit, because uh, I, I do think that's interesting. And I am particularly, very personally fascinated by that, like, time period where the kind of new colonialism was mm. stomping into someone else's country and raiding their to- their tombs. Yeah. Um, that's a very current issue right now, too. Right. About... The idea of, like, what we own that we took from a museum. Right. Like, from, like, a land hundreds of years ago. Well, like, that... Do we give it back to them? Should we keep it? That we did to Native Americans. Right. That very famously the, the, the Royal Museum... Did to everyone. ...still, still yeah. hold on to it. And they say, like, well, we're taking better care of it than, right. than you Right, right, yeah. Anyway, um, I really wanted to play with that idea because I find that to be a really... Just, like, I just find that intersection to be very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Did you see, like, a couple of years ago at the MFA, they did a whole exhibit about how the MFA itself paid for this, like, for one of, like, the famous tomb raids of, like, Tutankhamun's Pyramid and Mm -hmm. that whole complex. But the guy that they sent in there was a crazy racist and misattributed where everything came from. I don't remember that, actually. He was like, I mean, it couldn't have been these dark-skinned folk. It had to have been these lighter-skinned Egyptians. Uh So anyway, they did this whole big exhibit on basically how they were wrong and they allowed this wrong thing to go on and on and on for years, but now here's everything reattributed to its correct spot. So I wanted to tie that in as well, and I wanted to have... I wanted the inciting incident to be these guys were just part of, like, a tomb raiding... Like, one of the British ones that were paid probably by the Royal Museum to go over and, like, fuck up a pyramid and take whatever was there. I wanted to, similar to what you were talking about with the white people pretending to be Egyptians, I want, maybe it's, like, Elizabeth's father was, like, one of the main guys in this conspiracy to just, like, hold on to this stuff privately. Mm. Um, And then he and these white people just sort of co-opted this cult, and they're like, oh, we're going to get all this crazy power, and we're going to be the ones to, like rule London and then the world. Um, and I want for it to none of it be real, but my my thinking is that's the reason why these Egyptians are here. And I don't think I'll have them kill anyone. I think it's more that they're going after directly the like group of men who are responsible for the tomb raid, mm-hmm. and they just want to get their stuff back so they can restore it to, you know, its rightful home. Yeah. And I want that to sort of be the goal here. We're not necessarily spelling out, like... And this is why colonialism is wrong. Yeah. But instead, we're at least displaying it taking place. I like that idea of that being able to be restored. And I, I tend to favor Sherlock Holmes stories where he's sort of going against the establishment, not in service of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's cool. So. Fair. That's mine. 
I don't have a lot to offer, I don't think, because I this movie is so far from like I don't, what, what I, you like, what I like about <laughs> you know, what I would want to see in this movie um, that I would either like trash a lot of it or I would just do some light patching up to fix what's in here. I don't like that it's young Watson. I feel like I'm not allowed by the power. Whoever's funding. The yeah, movie, I'm like not allowed it's to like you have to have Watson in there, obviously. Like you need a relief. I'm yeah. not allowed to have it be like his other friend, Tim. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else. So I guess it's Watson. So here's like I guess my best fix, mm-hmm. which is that there are the like each of them has like their own nerdum at the start. So yeah. like Sherlock Holmes is like the chemistry nerd, um, mm-hmm. and Watson's like the 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 anatomy nerd, like medical nerd. And Elizabeth's really into anthropology and, like, history. Social archaeology. Sciences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she still is the niece or whatever of the, the weirdo professor. But the weirdo professor is even more weirdo, and he's kind of more of, like, a bohemian-type figure, um, and therefore so is she. And is kind of, like, looked, like, as, looked down on, but, like, because academics are kind of allowed to be a little bit weird... It's not, you know, they're sort of getting, like, light passes for now. Yeah. Like, you're allowed to be... A little, like, we we accept that you're a little eccentric, but, like, try and keep it under control. A little bit, but step outside the box too much, and we're going to put you in the straight jackets. Um, So that's where, like, you start the movie, and I don't think that there's, like... I don't think that there's this, like, fucking pyramid in London. There's no, like, (laughs) sacrifices, and nobody trod on the graves and and killed a bunch of princesses. I think they just, like, stole a bunch of shit, and people want it back. And maybe it's in a museum somewhere. I don't know if it's the British Museum or somewhere else in London. Maybe the school kids are, like, going there as part of, like, the intro to the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you set it up, like, here's all this stuff, and this, like, fake explanation of like ooh it was given to us right like yeah we rescued it from those like godless heathens it's got all these like really bad because the British Museum historically was like yeah this is definitely where it came from right yeah Def- this is definitely the the true information about right. this artifact <laughs> and uh, you, you can already see Elizabeth start to be like was it though yeah like hmm? like was it though like hmm, I don't know um, at the beginning and. Maybe, like, one person gets killed, like, that works at the museum, like, a guard or a curator or something, and it becomes, like, there's some sort of plot or threat to, like, rob the museum or something, or there is, or there is like, a theft and something gets stolen, um, and the, that's kind of the mystery, and I think that it sort of divides the group as they solve it, and it's, rather than it be, like, you know, they solve this crime and there's, like, danger and, and Elizabeth ends up dying... That it's like by the end of the mystery, Elizabeth is fully on the side of they need to have these artifacts back. Yeah. Like it's theirs. And Watson's like, no, like this is like it's like fully for, on the British side. Right, right. Sherlock Holmes is like, a man was murdered and I need to arrest the murderer. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel. And so he can't commit to like one side or the other. Side. Yeah. yeah, he can't commit to like he, he's like, yes, it was wrong, but like you're fucking rug a lot. Yeah. Which is kind of like a big sticking point historically. And like Sherlock Holmes is kind of big into justice, right. essentially. You know, even though he might understand, like, the point of view, it's like, I can't forgive the crime of murder, so I have to, like, report, I have to do my duty to report this murder, basically. And so that's why, like, they have this big split with, like, he has this big split with Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Rather than fridging a woman (laughs) who dies. 
Um, and Elizabeth goes off to become Helena Bonham Carter radical. <laughs> <laughs> Sending pipe bombs Sending to everyone. Pipe bombs <laughs> to the British Museum. Uh, Maybe like Sherlock Holmes getting what appears to be a pipe bomb with the middle of just a letter from her being like, hey, how's it going? Hi. How's the crime solving? Yeah. yeah. Sorry we couldn't work it out. And that's, that's pretty much it. So yeah, that's my fix. All right. I liked it. Cool. Uh, yeah. So would you guys recommend it? Yeah. I, I mean, like, I'm not going to tell anyone, like, oh my god, there's this underappreciated gem, but it's an entertaining movie. I'd give it a maybe, I guess. Have a like, good time. I feel like what you, you had said earlier, Chris, that if you had seen this when you were a kid, or probably Loved something it. you really fucking love. And yeah. I think I agree with that. Like, if I had seen this as a kid, I probably would have been like, yeah, this is a great I, movie. I think I would have had a lot of affection for yeah. it. Yeah. I saw it when I was probably in high school, and I did not, I didn't, didn't stick out. Yeah, as an adult, it's sort of a faint maybe. So, I don't think, I'm, I think I'm a no, mm-hmm. but just because, um... It didn't. I had, <laughs> for Sherlock Holmes fan, there's better. Yeah. Better out there. Fair enough. You can't say fairer than that. Yeah. yeah. Guys, this was our episode on Young Sherlock Yeah. Our summer of murder mystery we has finally concluded. We solved Everyone's dead. The murder yeah. mystery. <laughs> All the murder um, mysteries are dead. There's no mystery if everyone's dead. Yep. No mystery, yeah. So guys, yeah, guys, come back at us yeah. in two weeks. Two weeks, we'll our next jukebox musical mini episode. Oh yeah. yeah. Who's going next with yeah. the two of you? I don't know. Who's gonna, who's gonna be? It's gonna be Chris. It's gonna be me. Yeah. It's gonna be Chris. me. Uh, so, yeah. I'm cheating. He wants to go last week. We have the best one. I do, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I'm taking aspects yeah. of both of yours to make the best jukebox musical of all time. Drappack.com is our website. Facebook.com slash Podcast is our Facebook page. We're on most of the platforms at this point for wherever you yeah. listen to your podcast. I like Spotify myself. Yeah. Well, oh. we're there. Apple Podcast, all that shit. So you can listen to us there. You can rate, subscribe to us, follow us, whatever they call it. Do it there. Five stars only. Yep. Bye. Bye.